welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks, James, for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you. And I'll introduce you and then let you fill in anything that I might miss. But you are originally from Bolivia. From um, I think your, your parents were missionaries in Bolivia. Is that right? Yes, in Peru and Bolivia. Peru and Bolivia. Okay. And... Now you're living in the Midwest. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I guess before, you know, I, what I'd like to do is kind of talk a little bit about your childhood, about Bolivia and so forth. But before that, just as way of introduction, anything else that you would add um, for, you know, just saying uh, a bit about who you are as a person? Well, I was a missionary kid. I was born and raised in Peru and was there till I was 18. And then we moved to Bolivia in 1974. I was born in 56. In 74, we moved to Bolivia. And then I decided to stay there for the next 32 years. Okay. And your parents were there too, right? Yes. Okay. And I know you told me, but what kind of work did you do there in Bolivia? I worked in the oil fields. Okay. All right. Um, and then, and then, what brought you here to the to United States? Well, like a lot of the governments down there, there's they have narco governments and fraudulent elections. And when uh, this man Evo Morales, who was head of the coca coca leaf growers, uh, got elected fraudulently, he came in and he. Uh, declared that he was going to nationalize all foreign companies, and so he did. He flew into one of our the airstrip of one of the gas plants, uh, BP, and with soldiers and and coming in with their C-130s, and they came in and took over the plant. He made a big declaration that he was taking over BP, nationalized it, and so he did. And I did not want to work for that government and all my ex. Uh, uh, colleagues there told me I got out while, while the getting was good, and so I left. But that wasn't the only thing. The Lord was leading us to move up here. And my my children had moved had moved to St. Louis, and so we decided the future is in the United States with our kids where we wanted to be. So we came up in two thousand and eight. Okay. And what was your i guess you had visited the united states quite a bit so you were familiar with it even though you were living in bolivia right yes my uh, parents they would go on furlough every five years and come to the states so i was here for a year when i was five another at at 10 and when i came at 15 i stayed for two years and then uh, i came up for another year and a half to two years after that and then went back to bolivia and stayed there until 2008 Okay. Did you enjoy the United States when you came to visit? I did, but it was very different. It was very, you know, I think uh, missionary parents at the time thought their kids would just grow up and be like the average normal American kid. They didn't realize that we were identifying with our with those countries that we were living in. And I was a Peruvian citizen since I was born there. And, in fact, they used a Peruvian passport until I was 18. 
but uh, we all identified with that and many missionary kids ended up staying in those countries and some came back to the states and had to adapt but it, it's a hard transition and and what is like maybe the the hard hardest part of the transition like what yeah in what way is it hard well, when I came, when I was five years old, I, it, I didn't notice that much because I just stayed home with my parents mostly. But when I came at 10 years old, I was in fifth grade and into a public school. I had been raised in a missionary school where everybody was Christian. Everybody was friendly. Everybody was nice. There was no really anything going on bad. And my first day in Bluefield, West Virginia, uh, coal mining town, my first day I saw two kids fighting on the playground just be blooding each other and their mothers were egging them on and they were picking up glass off the playground and trying to cut each other and it just terrified me i'd never seen violence i didn't with the indians that we grew up with 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 anybody we never saw the violence so that was the first thing that struck me and it kind of made me into an introvert for that year and just everything american it was so different we were used to walking around barefoot in the jungle here we had to wear shoes and and everything about us, I mean, we looked like everybody else, but we, but we weren't like everybody else. It was, uh, it was all an adaptation. Wow. So, so in Bolivia and Peru, how old were you when you went from Peru to Bolivia? I was 18. The day after I graduated from high school, we went to Bolivia. Okay, so your childhood was pretty in much Peru. in Peru. Yeah. And... And then, so Peru and Bolivia, you know, there it was more peaceful. I don't. No, the people were would seem to be friendlier. Friendlier. Yeah. The in, in Peru, growing up, when we would go into town, because I grew up mostly with the Indian tribe, and that was very peaceful. Just I never saw an Indian raise their voice at another one. Never saw violence. Never saw anything of the sort. But when we would go into town, when we would go off the main street and into the the, the kids would come out and throw rocks at us and, and call us names. And so the, it was much nicer. When I got to Bolivia, the first thing that struck me was how much nicer the people were. I wonder why that is. I'm not really sure uh, because the Peruvians certainly aren't mean people. They were they're nice. It was just those kids at that certain time in a, on a little uh, muddy town on the, on the banks of the Ucayali River, which is the headwater to the Amazon. And yeah, they would they would do that, and they had their their chants that they were they were taught to speak against uh, these evangelical missionary kids um, that they didn't care for. But uh, you know, most of the people were very nice. It would, that's not that's certainly not the the norm. It just we well, saw that some, and and I saw very little of that in Bolivia. Yeah. Well, what is, what's the main religion in? Uh, Peru and, and Bolivia. Certainly Catholicism. Since the conquistadors came over in the 1500s, uh, they were all, the people were declared Catholic and they would have mass, um, mass, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, a baptism or induction into being a Catholic. So the people became um, Catholics, uh, regardless of whether they wanted to or not, and and they continued with their same old religions in the highlands. That was the Pachamama, which is Mother Earth. And to this day, the people in the highlands uh, carry on with two religions, or a 
a merging of the two of them, and the the poli- and the priests sanction it, and will even bless some of their holidays with their holy water. It's, it's fascinating to see. So, um, for the majority of the people, was their um, Catholicism just kind of um, like was it meaningful? Were they you know meaningful Christians as far as like uh, it having a relationship with God and so forth? No, and the people we work with, the Indians, they they were not Catholic and had no clue as to being Catholic, even though the Catholics did work with some, but they had pulled out mostly from Indian work, and they they worked with um, mostly the higher classes in, in the Peruvian towns. So the mission, when they worked with the Indians, they didn't have any, there was no rivalry or anything with the, with the Catholics. And the Catholics just said, fine, go ahead. You know, you have our blessing to work with the Indians because uh, uh, the priests had a, a lot of power in those towns at that time. And they could they could do uh, and say and authorize or whatever. And they, they pretty much left us alone. But uh, into the towns, you know, South America, Central America, Mexico, by default, everybody is Catholic. They're yeah. they're not something else, and and some have never stepped inside of a church. And then there's others that are very religious, and you'll would see them in front of the the cathedrals and in the processions and the marches, and uh, you know with their rosary beads kneeling down in front of the cathedral in front of some statue. That was uh, very common, um, but for the most part, they they didn't. Uh, they weren't involved in our life. We had our own mission and and schools and whatnot. And then your parents as missionaries were evangelical missionaries. Evangelical missionaries. The home church was a, a Southern Baptist church in Bluefield, West Virginia. But they had other churches that, that supported them. They both studied at Moody Bible Institute. And um, one day, uh, I forget his name. He'd been a missionary in Peru back in the 40s, and he came in and uh, made a presentation in Moody Bible Institute, and both of my parents uh, decided they wanted to join, so that's what they did. It, at that time, it was called South America Indian Mission. It was dedicated only to the 60 different tribes scattered in the Amazon jungles of Peru. Okay. And um, what did their, how, how did their mission work go? Did you know, were a lot of people brought in and to become evangelicals? Oh, yes. And uh, the the main tribe that my parents worked with was the Conibo, which is uh, a sub-branch of the Shipibo. And there, I understand, uh, you can check my figures, but I think they're, they're a tribe of like 35,000 people, which is probably the largest tribe in the, in the, the Peruvian jungle. Uh, they... Uh, to this day, I heard that when the government made a census, they were listed as an evangelical tribe because they've been reached not just by my parents, by several missionaries that had, you know, they would have their villages along the banks of the Ukayali River. And so there would be missionaries with each uh, uh, group of, we had one of the larger ones, had 500, about 500 Indians and they they were all uh, they would come to the church they would go to the schools that we that my parents provided and they for the most part became Christians you know Bible believing Christians and that you can see that to this day they have their own church association and choirs and and they're very much involved in and there's no missionaries well there's I know of at least one missionary that continues to work with them but 
but they're pretty much uh, thriving on their own. So would their lives be quite of a, quite a contrast with just the you know non-evangelicals the non-christians like um or was kind of the culture pretty um have had christian values anyway no they they did not they were they had their own uh beliefs of nature and and whatnot and there were some of those tri- some of those people of that tribe that that did not have access to church and 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 the preaching and you know don't knowing the way of salvation but there was many also uh, but that would come to the church or my or my parents or the other missionaries would ride in their speedboats and and ride up and down the Ukayali river and visit these small villages sometimes it could be just a one house shack on the side of the river but they were almost all visited at one time or another had access to and for the most part, most of them became, became Christians. But I'm speaking of the when I was born in '56 until I left in '74. It you know things have changed a lot since then. Oh yeah, like in what way have things changed? Well, the church has grown by okay. far, and there's and, you know they're considered an evangelical tribe. And if you were to ask one of that from that tribe, they would probably tell you they're evangelical Christian. But nowadays, because of the the internet and cell phones and everything like that, which was totally foreign when we lived in the jungle. It was there was nothing of any of that. They depended totally on the jungle, and now I understand the uh, the shacks have uh, solar panels. They've got TVs in their houses. They everybody has a cell phone, and they're studying in the in the towns uh, there. But with all of that, with all that, uh, with all the modern access, also comes all the bad part of it, and. So there is, they had, many girls have become prostitutes, homosexuality that was never, I'd never even heard of it among the Indian tribes. I understand that, that there, that is um, prevalent also. There's, you know, drug addiction. There's, you know, all the things that, that come with the modern world, but they also now have a lot more access to medicine. So, and you have to look at their, their way of life that. They hunted and they got all their their wild meat. They're fishing everything from the uh, fishing from the river, and that continues. But they don't the the animals just aren't out there anymore, and they can't support themselves like they used to, uh, unless they have big fields where they grow crops or something to make money with. Because also by becoming more modern, then they're they're they all of a sudden have needs that they didn't have before like a television they didn't know that they were missing anything and now they've seen it so they want it It becomes a need so they have to have money so they have to work so a lot of them have gone into the towns and found jobs and and one was even one even ran for president of the country whereas when i was growing up the indians were were looked down upon and maybe so to this day i don't know but they're intermixed with the population and where the population would not accept them and would not uh, allow them to intermix and they would, you know, sell to them along the riverbanks, but they were mistreated mostly just verbally. But now they're a much more integral part of society. Yeah. Um, so, what values do um, would people in Peru and Bolivia have compared to the United States? Like, um, like we, for example, we value progress you know um we value 
I don't know, different things, I guess. But um, I guess we're kind of materialistic. We value that. But <laughs> is there any contrast um, with, uh, you know, as far as just the things you value in life? Well, the South American in general, people are, are very friendly, very respectful. Mm-hmm. And they... Uh, they have more of a laid-back outlook on life, but now as the world is going into its modern, like for example, before people would go to work until 12, then they would take a siesta till 2 or 3 in the afternoon, then go back to work, and the stores would stay open till 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and then people would uh, go out to eat after 9 o'clock, which is still, that's the case to this day. But now people are more into fast food which was never the case before, but they're more into the street food, fast food, because their lives have become more Americanized, and they, they live a, the rat race that we do. So, But they have the same desires, the same things, good and bad, that plague this society here. They have the same thing down there, and they, they, uh, they're materialistic, and you know they've got to have their air conditioner and their... And, you know, all the modern things that we have today, they also desire that. So there's not a a whole lot of difference in that. Yeah. And then you met your wife down there, right? I met my wife in 19, at the end of 1979 in Bolivia. Okay. And, um, And then, and how old were you then? I was uh, 24. Okay. And then um, you had some exposure to the to the U.S. as you were growing up, but was it brand new for your wife then after you guys got together? Well, she had never pretty much hadn't been out of her town in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, uh, just, you know, locally in, in, the, in that county, or they call them provinces. But then the, the next day after we got married, we came to the States for... Uh, probably three weeks and we rode we drove from Miami all the way up to West Virginia and yes everything was uh, was very new and exciting to her yes yeah um okay so your your parents were Christian and then and then what about yourself how did you get started in, in Christianity well Christianity was a part of my life since the day I was born my parents were you know, there was in a, it was devotions, uh, church, uh, day in and day out. No matter where we were, if we were at the at the mission school, it was we were, everything was by the bell and a boarding school, and we would, you know, there was um, uh, vespers they called it and chapel, and it was all day long, every day. It was just part of our life. When I was six years old, I'd been hearing the gospel message all my life, my short little life. And one day, when I was six years old, we were in a Wycliffe Bible Translator mission base, and my uh, my youngest sister, uh, six years younger than me, was was about to be born. And my dad had been talking to us, my sisters and I. Well, I have three sisters. And so we, he had been talking to us about our need for salvation, and for some reason, at, I went to bed, and I was just really heavy-hearted, and I felt sinful that I, was, that I didn't have God in my life. It wasn't a, a fear of hell. I don't think he had explained that to us. It was a, an urgent need of having God. I 
went in. I was uneasy. I didn't totally understand it, but I went into my dad and told him that I had a heavy heart, that I was that I was feeling sad, and that I that I needed Jesus. And he knelt and prayed with me, and I accepted Jesus into my heart at six years old, and I've been a Christian since. Okay. And how, you know, how um, is your Christianity now? As in, like, what? Um, What's your relationship to God like now in the sense of um, how do you experience Him and what, it, what is it like for you? Well, it's been a whole lifetime of, of uh, trying to stay in His will. I failed miserably, but uh, I, I absolutely believe the same way I did when I was six. Of course, I've learned a whole lot more then, uh, getting to know God and getting to know what he, His will for our lives uh, I didn't understand that at six, but you know, as I grew, I knew all the time as a teenager in the boarding school, I know that I always loved Jesus. That has never, never been um, a question in my mind. But you know, sometimes, uh, you know, as teenagers, we, we uh, go astray. And when I came to the United States at 15 years old, having come from a mission school, where everything was tidy and nice and there was no, no, um, not much arguments or fights or everything was uh, very, very nice. And I came into the public school system at, in the 10th grade and, and I saw so many things and I continued with my Christian beliefs, but you get into with peer pressure and stuff, you, you start getting into things that, that you maybe shouldn't be doing. And that was kind of the case that I wandered from his will. I didn't wander from my belief in God or, and Jesus Christ, our savior. I didn't wander from any beliefs, but I, I was wandering in the world and testing and, and, you know, it's uh, not, not really understanding how the future worked or where I fit into society. Uh, it was just hard for me living in the United States. And when I came uh, college age, I came to the States and I was pretty much left on my own. My parents stayed in South America and I um, was saving up money to go to Bible college, which I went for one year. And, and I, but I was not living for God. I wouldn't, I never would stop witnessing if somebody wanted to know something, I would tell them, but I wasn't living for the Lord there for about a five-year stretch of my life until about right about a year before I got married that I, I turned my life back around to God and said, no, I, I don't want to follow the world. I want to follow you for sure. And that was, um, that was kind of a turning point. I went back to Bolivia with no future, no, not any college, uh, more than a year of Bible college. And I moved to Bolivia in the middle of 78 and just told my parents, I'm coming. And so, you know, I had no idea about what my future would be, whatever. I just went down there and, and uh, started living with them. And I donated my time to working in a Christian bookstore and uh, that they were starting up. The missionary didn't speak Spanish, so I would speak to the customers in Spanish and translate anything. And, and I just donated my time for about 10 months, and I was, um, and I was there and uh, working at the school. Uh, I was the PE teacher at the Christian school that only had 20 students uh, from uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. And so I just had them run around the field and do jumping jacks and just things that I'd learned 
uh, when I was taking PE class and I, I taught a leather craft course on how to make belts and Bible covers and stuff out of leather. And, uh, and I was the janitor and all this was, uh, free. Nobody paid me or anything. I was just donating my time, just, uh, eating at home and sleeping at home. But that's what I was doing. Just, just existing. And then one day I was, um, uh, invited by one of the teachers whose husband was the manager of a of an American drilling company out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she asked me if I would like a job on Christmas Eve, 1978, and I said sure. And I said, when do you want me to show up? And they said, go get your bags and get on the helicopter. And they took me out to the rig, and there my life started for the next 32 years as uh, working in the oil field. So. When you left the United States to go back to Bolivia, it sounded like, um, well, there was like kind of a turn in your life there um, about turning back to God. But is, were you wanting to get out of the United States, kind of like you were just wanting to get out of your old life, so to speak, and kind of have a, a new start or somewhere more familiar and so forth? That was uh, definitely the case. I now knew how to, how to behave in the United States and do how Americans did. But I never, even to this day, I don't fit in completely to the American way of life. In fact, when we came from Bolivia, my three kids and my wife were excited about moving to the United States and, and uh, opportunities, but I was the one that, that least wanted to come. When I went back to South America, I had no intention of coming back because I just feel much more at ease in the Latin society and Latino society and so I came, I adjusted, I, I was fine. But at that point in my life, I was just living by myself, just living from day to day, paying my, the bills, eating, and not really getting ahead with no future in my life and not understanding how to make a future. Uh, for some reason, I just didn't get it. And so I moved back to South America, not having any future, no plans, and but the Lord had plans. So... Everything started working out from that day that I went and got on the oil rig. And 13 years later, I was the supply chain manager in, in BP in, in Bolivia. Yeah. So I wonder in what way, in what ways are you more at ease? Were you more at ease in the you know, Latino culture and, and stuff? Like what, what was it about it? Because Latins are very inclusive and inviting if if they trust you and believe you, I can walk into a group. There, there could be Hondurans and Guatem Guatemalans and somebody from Ecuador, Argentina, you name it, in a group. And within five minutes, they're all talking to each other. They're happy. They're, it's like they've known each other their whole lives. And I walk in and they see me, uh, uh, white American, and they immediately put me into a box and, and figure they understand what person I am until they hear me speak in Spanish. And and he totally integrated to their culture, and they immediately accept me, and mm -hmm. I could fit right in with them, with no problem. Mm -hmm. And here I found that in the United States, whereas the, where American people, you know, we know when there's a flood, when there's an earthquake, you know, America is the first on the spot, you know, to help and be right there. But the one thing uh, that struck us is. Where all Latins in general will say, when they get into American society, they consider Americans to be cold, and very it's slow to to integrate into 
you may go to work and you may be, you become friendly with the people there. But for people to totally trust you, it's hard to break into that. And I know Americans don't believe that. I, I'll tell them that, and they don't believe it. And I don't, I don't mean to sound derogatory because every culture has their own um, manner of being. And I'm not, I, I'm just saying it, it's hard for me. It's hard for Latinos a lot of time to adapt and be, be accepted into a group of people. Uh, they, other missionary kids or Latinos understand what I'm talking about. But like I say, it's not for the purpose of uh, denigrating the American culture, but it's Americans seem more reserved as far as opening up and letting who will be their friend, whereas the Latino will open the door immediately. And then depending on what kind of a person you are, they'll make any judgments later as to, you know, and you'll pay for it if you're not a nice person. Well, then. So... So it's harder to kind of break in in American culture, but then once you're in, is American culture still kind of on the cold reserved side compared to Latino culture? Once you break in and you understand the culture, and and I and you know I may I may be speaking as if I'm against Americans, but it's also. Uh, you know, who's to say that what my culture is is the standard? It's not, you know, everyone has their own standard. But to break into that, and it's kind of hard to explain. But once you break into a circle and they're your friends, like you, you'll you see groups of friends of Americans that seem to be getting along totally. They're they're perfectly fine with each other. And it's a good chance that they grew up in from grade school on. They knew each other. And so they trust, they have that deep trust of each other. And that's to uh, probably more... It's a firmer foundation because it's based on a long, long-lasting trust that they've had with that person, or and so it's 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 a stronger. Whereas the Latin culture, you may have that group that seems all friendly on the surface, where but once they break apart, you won't have that that lasting that that firmer foundation of friendship. Maybe hmm. um, I'm probably saying that all wrong, but. Uh, it's a it's a good thing. The American culture is a good thing. Once you once you have that friendship, you've broken into it. Then yeah, it's very it's a very strong relationship, as long as you don't break the trust and do something that you shouldn't. Yeah. Um. So, so are your parents still alive? No, they passed away. It's been my mom went like three years ago, and my dad. It's been about a year and a half. Okay. And did they live all their life then over at Bolivia, or were they? Did they come back over here for like retirement? They were in Peru from 1954 till 1974. Then my dad was uh, assigned as to be the director of the mission in Bolivia, and he was in Bolivia from 74 till 88, and taking uh, furlough every five years and they later that changed to every three years so they had several years in there where they went to the states but they um they were there till 88 and then the mission assigned them to go back to peru to be the director the field director uh, in peru and they went there till 91 in 1991 he semi-retired from the mission and went to the states and then for the next 30 years uh was pastor of two different churches, our home church for a long time. And then he went through the old mining towns, coal mining towns 
in backwoods West Virginia and had a small church that he that he would visit all of these little communities of these no longer thriving mining towns, uh, usually just old shacks and people living off welfare and and witnessing to all of these people and and had a small core group of Christians that he that he brought along and they love him and just think the world of him and my and my mom and till till they died. And so he was a pastor for like 30 years after he left the mission field. Okay, I see. Hmm. Um, how is church life different over in uh, Bolivia and Peru and stuff? In a lot, most of the ways, it's it's the same. The people seem are like uh, a lot more. Could you say more like Assembly of God, and that they're they're whether they believe in in uh, in speaking in tongues and and all the charismatic things, their church would resemble more a charismatic church in that they're loud and they're singing, and and uh, and all of their. Um, it's not as uh, they don't have any very few congregations that are late. Uh, what's say more conservative and quiet? They're they're more boisterous. They're they're louder. They they like the music more. They they're very much like that, and that's why so many churches in South America have gone to the prosperity gospel and, and um, charismatic type of because that that draws their attention and. So they go more to that. Where here you can you have all you know from the the loud charismatics to the very uh, conservative only old hymnal music type churches. So, but in in general, I mean the beliefs are the same. In in general, it's still it's very much the same. Okay, but so more a little more. Boisterous or energetic into the music is, and is that kind of maybe reflective of their culture in general? Yes. Then, yes, okay. definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to you, um, what gives you uh, confidence in Christianity that it's not just um, your truth and your culture and so forth, but it's really objective reality and so forth. Well, because of the the Bible, we base everything that we believe on the Bible, and if it's not in the Bible, then we don't believe it. If it, it has to be t- tried and tested by by Scripture, and so therefore, I I believe what I believe out of the Bible. Whereas you know, many many Christians would uh, would not believe exactly as I do, but I have more of a, a conservative base in the Bible and believing you know in God's will. And and Jesus, our Savior, that we are that we are uh, to be obedient to Him and follow His will in our life, and that was true in Bolivia, Peru, and and here. And um, you know, there are certain things that that don't necessarily divide us, but that we don't uh, agree on in theology and and uh, and uh, you know other things in within the you know that's why we have all the different. Uh, churches, but um, but yeah, I, I believe in following the scripture. Well, what gives you confidence in scripture that it's something that that's you know reality rooted in what's objectively true? Well, 
I mean, there's uh, people that understand the Bible a lot better than I do can explain it better. But uh, the the fact that God was in over thousands of years and, and so many different authors in the in the Bible, and it all uh, comes together as one with one message, and that uh, that's to me that's uh, really awesome. But the biggest reason. Uh, is it's just my faith in God that that His will. I don't understand all the things that He does. I don't understand some of the doctrines, but I know. But I do have faith in God and that He's completely sovereign and that His will is what we need to follow. And I just basically, I just basically follow, uh, follow Him by faith, not not so much as what I have uh, learned in school or, or used to know better to answer to say, well, the Bible this and the Bible that, and it proves itself. And, and all that I leave to all the, the Bible scholars. And if I really have to defend my faith, I can go study up. There's so many study aids nowadays, and you can just look in your Bible and it will explain it. But uh, me, I, I, don't, I couldn't re-explain the doctrine of this, the doctrine of that so much as I just believe it personally. But yes, I absolutely believe in those things. Yeah. Well, kind of like starting to wrap up a little bit, um, I'll ask you a question that yesterday I was recording conversation and I started with this question. That was probably too much. But <laughs> now that we've talked a while, I, I probably can go ahead and ask you. And that's, um, well, just what is your life all about now as in... Um, you know, just what, um, what, um, yeah, what are you after in in life, and just what's, you know, what's for you? What is life all about at this point in your life? Our life is always about, as Christians, our life is about following God's will and living our lives dependent on Him and just living by faith. Uh, now I'm retired from a job, and so I've it's freed up my time that I can do other things and so I told myself that I would get more involved in the church and do things and you know presently I'm working at a place called Oasis International it's a Christian organization that helps um, refugees and immigrants I'm there as a Spanish interpreter so but 90% of the people that come in the doors are from Afghanistan when now technically today I think the only country at war is Ukraine so we've had a few of those, but mostly people from Afghanistan. And so the organization donates furniture, food, clothing, computers, uh, bicycles, etc. So I donate some of my time to that place. Uh, temporarily, I'm, I'm uh, in place of a Bolivian missionary that is in Bolivia right now. He'll be back at the end of March. And so that's how much what I promised them that I would replace him for that time. And other than that, I'm just open to to different things. Uh, you know, I'm getting going to more meetings and our D group in, in church. So, and I, you know, my wife has a small business making Bolivian food and selling it, and so I help her a lot with that. But that's pretty much what my life is right now. And you know, we'll see what God has planned for me on down the road. All right. Well, um, is there anything else that you'd like, anything on your mind that you, we should bring up and, and talk about before we just kind of wrap up then? I would just like to say that, you know, so many missionaries, missions have changed the way they operate from, from way back in those days when everything was work 
uh, oriented. The the parents thought that they could just go down there, have their kids, put them in a boarding school, and they do their work. And most of them were workaholics and really were involved. And I respect that totally. But it takes its toll on the kids who come to the United States. They're not they're not adapted completely. And the parents sometimes at that time did not understand what kind of a effect that would have on their kids. And some went off the deep end. Some went back to the mission field. Others are just struggling. Others are adapted just fine. But that's something that has changed a lot. And you don't see that too much anymore. The, the boarding schools, the missions, the few missionaries that there are usually are in the towns and they have their they have their mission school where the kids go home every day, see their parents. It's more of a, a normal life. And they live in cities that are so very similar to the United States. And I think the the adaptation is not near as much. It's not, it's not as, uh, and, you know, we were just kind of just thrown out there and, and, and people just didn't understand us. And I still don't understand it all, but there's been a lot of good books written about it, but the missionary kid life or preacher's kids, you know, they're, they're very different. And it, it just, um, it's something that, you know, we always had to deal with that, That's all I'd have to say about that. All right. Well, thanks, James. You're welcome. <laughs>